when DEI is, is done well, it's embedded in the culture, right? The behaviors of those individuals within institutions. And this work is not add-on work. It's not an initiative. It's not even a project. It's actually everyone's work. And we have to work towards that belief and in that infusion in our policies and our practices that everyone holds a stake in advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I tell people all the time that no one goes unscathed where inequities exist. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Amira Baja, Executive Vice President, Head of Health Sector Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Communications at Edelman. Amira works closely with organisations at various stages of their DE&I journey. And in this episode, we discuss the common challenges they often face. Amira provides valuable insights into the complexities of implementing effective DE&I strategies. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi, Mira. Hello. Good to be here with you. Oh, no, I'm so happy we're able to chat today. Um, well, it's morning for you, afternoon for me. Yes. <laughs> Just getting the day started. <laughs> yeah. Um, so hopefully we can kick your day off with a good conversation. So mm-hmm. why not tell our listeners a little bit about you and your journey to where you are today? I got started in the DEI space in a little bit of a um, roundabout but wonderful way. So I'm going to go back to the way beginning because it has a lot to do with my story and how and why I practice DEI in communications. And I grew up understanding from the very earliest ages um, what it meant to live in purpose, if you will. And I actually spent the formative years of my childhood and teens on the tiny island of Guam. It's a U.S. territory, and my parents were actually uh, missionaries there. And so, as you can imagine, that meant that we lived very humbly within the community with the local people, and we strive to really help meet their expressed wants and needs, everything from housing to food to spirituality. And I believe deeply in this idea of by community, for community, in community. And so much of that comes from that upbringing because it really shapes how I approach creating a sense of belonging and community with the people around me from my personal life to my professional life. And the way that translated for me was my undergraduate experience. I thought that I wanted to be a doctor. So I was actually a pre-med student thinking that that's how I would perpetuate good in the world and give back. And I quickly realized after a few different marketing classes that there might be another way to help people. And I learned so much about behavioral science and communications and helping people think about their behaviors and the choices we make about our language and our words and how our words can help shape the world that we live in. And so I learned about nonprofit organizations and the ways that they were using marketing, communications, and business acumen to really reshape the world that people were experiencing. 
and I did several informational interviews, and I actually spent about a decade in the nonprofit field on the front lines of health-related organizations, helping people in the ways that they asked for. And that then translated to a opportunity to hire many communications organizations and firms like the one that I met today, and really just drove home for me this idea that communications is about behavior change. We create these words to shape perceptions and the world around us and ask people to take up a call to action. And it's very similar to some of the work that I get to do today in diversity, equity, and inclusion helping people understand the world around them and behaviors that will help create belonging and community around them. And that work on the front lines of communities um, really inspired me to practice diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare institutions. And one of the reasons for that is that Healthcare institutions often serve as an entry point for the multitude of social services that communities rely on. And I thought, if I can have an impact on the ways of working and the lived experience of healthcare providers and professionals, from employees to CEOs to actual nurses and physicians, that I can help impact the end user, people and patients who are in communities. And that's the work that I get to do today. Oh, that's lovely. And I completely see how, I mean, it, it makes sense with healthcare because it's it's an area that touches every single person. And mm-hmm. at, at some point of our lives and our journeys, we would have been touched with, I've had some sort of involvement with healthcare. Again, one of the many reasons that I actively chose to work in healthcare is there is a distinct understanding and sort of malleability regarding equity, right? The nature of working with patients, with people, is about access. It's about value and dignity and participation, right? Because there's a relationship and a participatory piece of engaging with your nurses and your physicians for your care. And so there are some core principles in how we advance equity that I believe and have seen that those in the health ecosystem have this innate understanding of. And so, you know, getting to this idea of where people are in their journeys, I found that within the health space, helping move people along that diversity, equity, and inclusion journey, there's just an understanding of a baseline understanding, if you will, that we come to this work with because of the way that healthcare is shaped and the way that it moves forward. Mm. And so as a woman of color, um, Mm. how do you, how do you think that your perspectives, your experiences as a black woman factors into the work that you do and how you do it? Having the lived experience of being a a black woman, um, a black mother, a black partner, and especially a black person in America, um, that's really important, I think, to advancing the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion within organizations. You know, one of the principles that I hold to as a practitioner is um, this idea of looking to the margins for centering their perspectives, right? And what that means, looking to the margins, is when we look around the world around us, our systems 
um, our our words, our institutions, and the ways that they are um, erected, they ben- benefit some more than others. And so if we look to the margins, those who are on the edges of those experience, who understand the inequities most innately, and bring them in to shape what repair looks like, that's so important to the work. And I believe, to answer your question, from my own experience, um, but also stories that I've been told by others that have a marginalized identity or multiple marginalized identities, that too many of us know a career and an experience shaped by our resilience to everyday slights because of our identity and the way the systems and institutions interact with or treat us because of our identity. And that identity, whether it's your skin color, your gender, the way that you identify, there's so many different dimensions to who we are and marginalized looks like many things. A woman, a black woman, a member of the LGBTQ plus community, um, a person who is disabled, right? Those are um, different identities that experience the workplace very differently. So I think about microaggressions, bias, lowered expectations. There are also some um, very distinct experiences like the glass cliff in which most often women of color or or people of marginalized identity are set up in organizations essentially to fail. Uh, The glass ceiling, or for our um, AAPI um, brothers and sisters, the um, bamboo ceiling, as they call it, where there is a... um, a ceiling for how far we can go within organizations, for how much we can achieve because of the incorrect perceptions and because of the systemic inequity. And then also this idea of pet to threat. And that's another experience as a Black woman in corporate spaces that I've had to contend with of being high achieving, being really good at what you do, but nobody wants you to be too good because they want you to thrive too much oh, and so you certainly you've go. gone so far as a black woman oh my goodness right how dare you <laughs> yes. you're disrupting the status quo you can't we can't have that and so you go from pet to threat and these are all scenarios that are so pervasive across our experiences as people with marginalized identities we, we all have our distinct experiences of course but it's very persuasive that we can all often name these things or name experiences and scenarios that certainly fit into these buckets. And they're so pervasive that they have names and that they are studied. I can look up a great many studies about each of these scenarios that shape so much of the experience um, that we have. And so we bring that experience to the table when it comes to fostering community, creating more inclusion, advancing equity, and ensuring that there is diversity um, in the rooms and the spaces that we enter. Mm. And one of the things that I often hold on to that keeps me inspired and keeps me going, uh, the words of Bell Hooks. And she said, sometimes people try to destroy you precisely because they recognize your power, not because they don't see it, but because they see it and they don't want it to exist. Mm. Oh, that's that's really powerful, definitely. And I, it rings so true. Um, you know, it, it is, and and I think 
it's so important that we're able to bring these experiences and those those stories to life and to mm-hmm. vocalize them um you work within communications we know communication is crucial so we're saying yes we need to get these stories out there yes we need to bring our experiences but what would you mm-hmm. say is the best way to communicate that so that it can be received in the most effective way the very first thing someone asked me this last week as well in a conversation <laughs> i was having One of the first things that I start with is the truth that not everyone can be moved. So we can communicate, we can provide scenarios, examples, experiences, lean into people's, you know, emotional side and help them see us as humans. And there's still some people who will never be moved. Um, and, And let me rephrase that. Not that they can't be moved, but that they won't be moved rather that's more accurate there's some people who will not be moved just they hold on to their beliefs and their perceptions of the what the world should be i particularly as a practitioner i focus my energies on those who are more malleable those who are open to having conversation and to actually moving from point a to point b point c point d and e along this diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. And one of the things that I get to do in my work as a practitioner is assess where organizations are, their policies and their practices, and use an evidence-backed methodology. I like the one particularly from the Center for Global Inclusion. And they have these DEI benchmarks, over 275 benchmarks in four categories that aid in determining the actions that an organization can take And what I find is helpful in communicating with people along this journey is helping them understand what maturity in DEI looks like, that we're not trying to boil the ocean all at once, but here are the first steps that we can take, right? What is the very best next step we can take? And how can you play a role in that next step? And how will that impact your experience within the workplace and the experience of those around you that you care about, that you work with, so that we can all um, benefit from more equity present in our organizations? Mm. And what have you found to be the most challenging so far for like, a common challenge that, that many are facing when, when, when they're taking these first steps? One thing that seems to be true across many organizations, and I think we're getting closer to people understanding this, but there is a lot of cherry picking of people with marginalized identity to lead the DEI effort, but often without resources, meaning money, people, and actual authority or a straight and direct line to the CEO, the key decision maker. And one of the reasons it's um, not the most helpful to just cherry pick someone, you know, just to cherry pick me, oh, Amira, you're a Black woman, you can do this work. I am a DEI practitioner. Not everyone that looks like me is. And the work of DEI is it self a practice there is a methodology and there is a science to the work that we do to help shape the world and reshape the world and create repair within organizations and so i help organizations and i get to walk alongside them in crafting what that um, persona and job description of a head of dei or chief diversity officer might look like 
And it is very helpful. Um, and I think it is vital to have a lived experience um, with inequity to understand how to shape repair and move it forward, but it is not the only requirement. And I think as organizations, we have to think long and hard about um, pulling in and asking for help around shaping that job description, that role, and also creating the pool of candidates that have a lived experience in being DI practitioners and apprenticing alongside someone who has seen um, outcomes and outputs of DEI success over time. And that's something I would like to see organizations do more. And I think it's a challenge um, because they're not always seeing the advancements that they would like. And in some cases, it's because their head of DEI is um, upskilling, if you will, particularly if they're a person who has not been a practitioner in this space before. And that's okay. I think people can learn and can raise their hand and say, I need to upskill in these areas. But I think that's some of the um, ajita about the um, lack of swift progress is we need to have the most right um, people in those roles. And that means a storied, a, a historied practitioner of DEI who has done this work before, or someone to walk alongside a newer individual who has a lived experience, but perhaps isn't yet a DEI practitioner. Mm, and so for you, what would you, as, as someone that works with organizations, helps them build, um, when, from looking on the outside in, it's always a good thing, right? So when you're in it and you are looking out and you're, you're kind of searching for additional resources and assistance, where would you, where do you start? Because there's a lot out there now. I mean, DEI mm -hmm. kind of boomed after the tragic um, death of, of George Floyd. And right. that was, it was, it was great to see that people were opening their eyes to um, a lot of the negative experiences mm -hmm. that, that we have been experiencing on a day-to-day basis yes. um which was great but then all of these different things pop up and I I, I get emails left right and center from so many different people offering this and, and saying they can help me here so what would you say is um a good good resource or step to take when you're when you're wanting some help but you just don't know where to turn mm -hmm. I really do enjoy much of the work and the thought leaders that have come out of the Center for Global Inclusion. Um, you know, they're globally focused, so they're international and they bring that perspective. But there are also a great many of the practitioners that I look to for learning and thought leadership that have helped shape some of the benchmarks that the Center for Global Inclusion um, espouses and shares widely. Their resources are open and free. Part of that's because of, you know, their, their deeply held beliefs about um, accessibility and helping all organizations advance in um, more equity for the people around them and their experiences. So I would look for organizations that are, you know, time tested and have practitioners who, again, have worked in this space for a great many years to shape what DEI looks like, what the evidence and the methodology and the study of this work is. And there are many of them um, via that organization as one. And, you know, there are a great many books that have come out or articles, and I'm constantly looking to continue to 
advance my own skills and learning in this space. I think about authors like um, Michelle Mijun Kim and her book, The Wake Up, um, Lily Zhang, Dr. Shirley Davis. These are some great DI practitioners who are consistently sharing not only via articles and books, but also on their own social pages like LinkedIn for example. So there's great advice. There are resources that they point others to, and there's language that they give to shape the challenges that we're seeing in DEI and how these things can be addressed. And so I look for that evidence of them having some experience in this space and having helped organizations move forward in their maturity on this DEI journey. And so that's something that I look for. You know, who are those thinkers and leaders that are helping to shape what this body of knowledge and this body of work looks like? And I think they're um, quite vocal out there. So look to some of those people for who they're in community with that we can learn from and the ways that we can upskill in this area of DEI. Oh, lovely. And looking to the future, in your opinion, what would you like to see improve? And what changes would you like to see in the future for DEI? Uh, so many things. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, where, where, where should do we, we start? start? <laughs> I know. It, it, we could probably have another hour worth of time. We could, about. we could. You know, when, when DEI is, is done well, it's embedded in the culture, right? The behaviors of those individuals within institutions. And this work is not add-on work. It's not an initiative. It's not even a project. It's actually everyone's work. And we have to work towards that belief and that infusion in our policies and our practices that everyone holds a stake in advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I tell people all the time that no one goes unscathed where inequities exist. You know, there are many dimensions to our identity. And um, whether it's, again, you're disabled, a member of the LGBTQ plus community, Black, Hispanic, Asian American, there are so many different dimensions of our identity that are impacted by inequities existing within our organizations. And at its core, organizational culture is about a person's behaviors replicated, right? They become codified in systems and processes. And so we have to do the deep work of shifting conditions within our organizations at multiple levels. And that's what I want to see more of is people understanding exactly that. There are shifts in our behavior individually, as people. So we each individually have to do the work to unlearn and to relearn. There are shifts that have to happen interpersonally, how we engage with one another as people. There are behavior changes that have to happen there to advance equity. And institutionally, the policies and the practices that we stand up and espouse within the walls of our institutions, there have to be shifts that happen there for equity to be realized. And then societally, or culturally, there are shifts that have to happen to the way that we shape the world and things that we're espousing together as a collective and as a culture. And that's something that I don't see understood well. There's often a lot of focus on that first level of individual behavior change. So we see that um, actualized in unconscious bias trainings, for example, or book clubs. For example, there's so much focus on 
the individual learning or unlearning and relearning. But then how do you put that into practice for the ways that you engage with people, the ways that you craft and advance policies and practices at your institution, and the ways that your institution responds to what's happening in culture, in society, and the greater wide world. And so I want to see organizations understand that more, that we have to shift conditions at a multitude of levels for us to actually experience community, for us actually to experience equity, um, not only within our institutions, but societally as well. Mm, no, couldn't agree more, um, Amira. I, I, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a tall order, we know. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen overnight. But no. I agree, it does need to happen in all of those areas that you've you've explained. We can't just simply do it individually. It needs to go across all, other, all aspects of a business, all aspects in terms of not just the people that you work with, the people, it's how you interact with people outside of work, right. how, your, how your business interacts with your with your their suppliers, their vendors, who they uh, do you know it, it it touches everything. It's a way of being and it's a way yes. of thinking. That's why mm. when people ask me for things, I will often I, I don't like to be prescriptive. Like here are steps one through ten. I talk to people about principles and principles of behavior. And part of that is because creating more equity in the world, creating belonging and being more inclusive, it's a way of being, it's a way of thinking. And if you understand some principled ways of thinking and being, we'll all be better off with it. And so I often provide people principles for a way of thinking and a way of being in the world. Amira, thank you so much for this great conversation. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, It's definitely left me with a lot to think about. And also doing more research and learning because it's something that Mm -hmm. is always on my list to, to continue to do. Um, and it's great to hear that somebody like yourself, who has been working within DEI for so long, who's so amazing <laughs> at what you're doing right now, um, <laughs> is also doing the same. Because I think it's important for everyone to, to, to know that you can always learn more and, and to to really not be shy to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really key. So just before yes. you do leave us, though. Um, I would like to get one piece of parting advice that you would give to a DEI practitioner listening today. That's a great parting question. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to answer your question with a question in that I think one of the things that all of us, whether we're DEI practitioners, DEI champions, just people, is we need to ask bigger questions. We need to ask more questions. There's a great question that's come out of so much of the the tech space right now. It's, you know, who would you be uninterrupted? And I love that question. Mm. It's one of those big questions. Um, I often ask questions or start with questions in my work as a DI practitioner is, you know, whose interests are being served? Um, Why are we doing this? So asking more questions, but asking bigger questions Inquisition is one of the most powerful tools that we have that gets people thinking and opens up the world of possibility. So that's what I'd like to see people do more of. That's advice that I'd give is ask more questions and ask bigger questions to open up the world of possibility. Oh, that is really good piece of advice, Amira. I love it. Um, For anyone who is listening, how can they best connect with you? 
LinkedIn. I'm very active there and I'm also very responsive. So if you, you know, DM me, I will definitely answer back. Do you know, um, don't say that too much. Do you know how many people listen to this podcast? I'm, I know, I, I, I'm scared for you. <laughs> <laughs> so and don't blame me. Comment, I respond. I won't. I welcome it. And that's why I'm sharing so much of this thinking. It's where I'm sharing um, thoughts and ideas from other mm. practitioners, people that I admire that you can also look to be in community with um, to do this work. So find me on LinkedIn. That's definitely the best way. I'm always writing something or doing a podcast with lovely people like yourself. So people can find me there and find me sharing more of this type of work that I think will help put language to so many of the answers people are looking for, but also provoke or prompt some bigger questions from people as they listen and read along. Oh yes, a hundred percent. And yeah, I agree. Anyone who is um, listening, please do follow Amira because I also do follow her and she does such great articles and posts. Honestly, it's, it's, it's truly um, inspirational. So thank you so much again Amira and I look forward to speaking with you again likewise thank you for having me